morning. So Exodus 20, verse 12. We are going to be talking about moms and dads today. And as we walk into this conversation about moms and dads, here is what I realize. That many of us, our biggest and longest lasting emotional pain points, they come from one of two things. Number one, they come from pain that you endured as a child as a result of the relationship with one or more of your parents. And number two, they come from pain that you have as a parent as a result of a relationship with one or more of your children, right? The, the biggest struggles, and at the same time, I realized something conversely, that many of the most, uh, the biggest sense of accomplishment, of pride, of joy have come as a result of parents seeing something in us, affirming us, helping us grow into the people that they desired us to be. The biggest sense of accomplishment and joy is in seeing kids who, who have become the kind of people that you really hoped to raise, right? So the majority of us, there's probably a combination of, uh, of both emotional pain points with those relationships and a sense of pride and joy. And there's actually a reason that this relationship is so powerful for us, that it has so much power in shaping the kind of people that we become. There's a reason that the biggest feelings that we have come from these relationships. And that's what we're going to examine today. So we're in the Ten Commandments, and today we start what is often referred to as the second table of the law. So, uh, the overarching foundational desires that God has for humanity are found in the Ten Commandments. Like, we can see God's heart revealed in the Ten Commandments. And, and the two tables of the law, the first table is, Jesus kind of helps us understand this, that you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the first four commandments that we spent the last four weeks going through. And this week, we start the, the section, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, now, in both of those, the most effective way that we can love neighbor is actually learn to love God. And the most effective way that we can love God is do his will in loving our neighbor, right? Like, those two things are intertwined, but this second section begins these commands about loving our neighbor. So the last four weeks, we looked at God, right? We looked at who God is um, and how should we relate to him? What are his desires for relating to him? And we came to this discovery that God, like in the, in the first four commandments, we actually see that God is a God who is uh, singular and not just singular, but that he wants a relationship with human beings. Right? That's what we see in those first four commandments. He wants our hearts. He actually says, I am jealous for you. So why does he say that? Well, St. Augustine uh, gives us some enlightenment into this. This is what he says. He says, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Right? And so, so the first four commandments dig at how can we be people who God has made for himself? And so, so he does this by starting with what is most foundational to that. Like the first commandment that he gives is, you shall have no other gods. Like you cannot get this relationship with me thing right if you are having other gods. So he's the only one with permission to determine what is right and what is ultimate for us. Like if you don't get this, then the other commandments are meaningless. 
So it's the most important, so he puts it first. And today, we come upon God's first command that deals with our relationship to others. This is the first command in the love your neighbor part of the Ten Commandments. And the implication is that like flowing out of our right relating with God should come right relating with others. So, so now I want to know, there was in the first set of commandments a, a kind of most foundational commandment to those first four commandments. Like if you didn't get this one, you couldn't get the other ones, right? So what would be the most foundational commandment in that second set of commandments? Remember God, what is he doing with the Ten Commandments? Well, with Israel, like he's trying to create a functional society. Like he has to build these people who are going to live in a land and reflect him to other nations. And so what is most foundational for these people to live and operate with other people in the world? So just think, like if you had to do this for yourself, like if you were in the position of God, which is not allowed by the Ten Commandments, but if you were, um, and you had, to, you had to come up with this most foundational commandment for society, for relating to other people, like, what do you think would be the most foundational law to, to help with the flourishing of society? Like, if I were in that position, I, I might start with, it's probably a good idea not to murder other people. Like, that, that, I might make that foundational, right? Because I know that society can't function if people are killing other people, right? Um, I might, or I could start with like no stealing, right? Your property is important. Everybody has ownership and has to take ownership, right? Like I might be inclined to start with those or even like talk about society today. Like what, how might we talk about the best thing for society, the most foundational command for society? Well, maybe it would be like take care of the poor, right? That might be most foundational, right? I might be inclined to pick any of those. And there are some that maybe seem more or less obvious, but right now, like, I don't care. Like, we're not here to discover what Alex thinks the commandment should be and what is most foundational. But we actually want to know what does God say is foundational to our relationships with others, right? Because that's what this second set of commandments is about. So Exodus 20, verse 12, it says, honor your father and your mother. Honor your father and your mother. This first command at the, the second set of commands about how we relate to society, honor your father and your mother. So before we do anything else, we have some things that we need to kind of undo. So number one, you, when you hear this commandment, are most likely used to relating this commandment to small children. In fact, uh, as you think about small children, you've heard this, you would want to give them this commandment so that they know what it means to obey their parents, right? Honor your father and mother. Obey your parents. And you know what? There are certainly in this moment, as God is speaking to Israel, there are small children probably listening in. They are being instructed in what they need to do, right? They are hearing this, but the, the, the command is honor your father and mother. And now this is not uh, Israel corporately. You need to make sure that children honor their father and your mother. Honor your father and your mother when you're children. No, actually, this is singular. So he's talking to every single individual Israelite, which means you have a parent who has children and parents living in this moment. And God says to that parent, honor your father and your mother. The, the parent who still has their parents walking, uh, the, the parent who, who has children, who has their parents walking with them through the desert, hey, you honor your father and your mother. 
You don't typically think about adults who still have parents alive getting this, but this is, so what this tells us is that this is not just for kids, and its emphasis does not diminish the older that you get. Like there's not somehow a a time when you cross a line where you can no longer honor, or you have permission to no longer honor your father and your mother. It continues on. So that's the first thing to notice. The second thing to notice is this. It does not say honor your parents. It says honor who? Your mother and your father. Right, we miss this, right? The importance of this, you're like, okay, well, what's the big deal? Uh, We miss this because we are not in the culture that they were in. And what God is doing when he says, honor your father and your mother, is he is radically redefining family roles in this moment. Because in ancient Near Eastern culture, the only person who mattered was the father, So when he says, honor your father and mother, he takes mother from a very lowly spot and actually elevates her in ancient Near Eastern society so that for the child, they understand that they are to have the same attitude towards both of their parents, not just one of them. God elevates mom and and, and they have equal importance in the life of the child. So those are two important things to notice. So then the thing that we're commanded to do with our mom and our dad is to honor. Honor, the Hebrew word for honor is chavad, and uh, it gets translated a bunch of different ways. It means to uh, acclaim, to make much of, to accept, to respect, to obey. It It could have any of these multiple meanings when you consider honor. So I want to talk about what it literally means. It literally means to give something weight. So now we're at the point, like you've probably been looking at the speaker up here and going, what in the world is this doing up here? So first I want to draw your attention to this pen. Uh, there are many things that I can do with this pen. This pen is uh, rather light. I could pick, I can actually, when I pick this pen up, I can pick it up with two fingers which is rather amazing. Uh, I could, I think I can balance this pen on one finger, yes? Everybody clap, please. Thank you. Thank you for affirming me, I appreciate that. I can toss the pen up in the air. If I wanted to, I could, I could toss the pen back to Zeke and Zeke would catch it for me. I'm not gonna do that this morning, but I could toss it and Zeke would be willing to catch it and you all know that he would catch it because he's very uh, coordinated with his hand and eyes and all of that good stuff. I could do any of that with that. This pen gives me so many things that I can do. This speaker, you know what I can't do with this speaker? I don't think, I, I, with my two fingers, I'm not certain that I can actually pick the speaker. I can't pick the speaker up with my two fingers. I am unable to do that. I cannot balance the speaker on one finger. Uh, now, yeah, I know, right? Boo, that's right. Good job, Gary. I, I, like, I, I, I mean, I could toss the speaker up in the air. It would be like a fun little experiment to see how that goes. Although I could not throw it to Zeke at the back of the room and then Zeke be able to catch it because neither of us are able to do those things, right? So if I tried to do any of the things that I could do with the pen with the speaker, 
what I'm actually doing is I am dishonoring the speaker. I'm failing to recognize what the speaker is made of, the actual weight that it has. My actions are not in line with the real weight of the speaker. So, so really, when we get to the idea of honor, what it carries with it is this concept of actions that rightly recognize the weight of something. Okay, so, but before we, so we're, we're going to kind of stick with that idea and trace it through, but we need to, to go to Scripture to gain a better understanding of honor. So we're going to do this from a negative perspective. So some help here. Romans one twenty one says this. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Okay, so how much does God weigh? Right, like we, that's a foolish question to ask, right? Like we're not trying to attribute physical nature to God, but, um, but more accurately, the question that we're asking is what is God's real weight? What is his substance? What is he made up of? He created everything. He actively works to sustain his creation. And not only that, but he has set himself above creation. So when it says, so they did not honor him as God, he's saying they did not recognize God's real weight. But then tune in there at the end because it actually reveals to us a little bit more. Reveals that this is not just about their actions, but it's about their heart. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Okay, so that's Romans one twenty one. Now let's keep this idea going. Isaiah twenty nine thirteen says this. It says, And the Lord said, Because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me. God's uh, speaking to his people, and he's saying, Hey, you know what? You speak in ways, you use words that might recognize my weight or that you think recognize my weight. You act in ways that you think might recognize in weight. But here's the problem. In your hearts, you don't really. You don't really recognize my weight in your heart. Okay, so that's a a little bit further. This, This idea of weight has something to do with heart. Okay, we got one more, and this one's a positive one. Romans 12.10. It says, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. So here Paul is talking to the community of faith, and he's saying, you need to do something special. You need to recognize each other's weight. Now, don't comment on that weight when you recognize it, but you need to engage in actions. You need to engage in actions that show that you know what a person is worth. Because they are your brothers and sisters. You know what God calls them? God calls them saints. He calls them holy. He, calls, he has saved them through Jesus. He has accomplished their righteousness and their salvation. So you know what you need to do? You need to treat them with the weight that God has already assigned to them. So then we have a firmer understanding of what honor is. So let's, let's go with this working definition. Honor is this, offering actions 
and intentions, that's the heart piece, actions and intentions that recognize someone's God-given weight. Offering actions and intentions that recognize someone's God-given weight. So when God says, you know, honor your mom and dad, he's saying, I am giving these two people special weight in the family. I'm giving these two people special weight in society that each of you need to recognize with your intentions. So this is more than just obedience. That's how we typically take it, right? You need to obey your mom and dad. And even there are New Testament writers. Paul does this. He, he just translates it straight over to obey, right? Obey your mom and dad. And that's the way we typically think of it. But, but honor is so much bigger than just obedience. It is something that continues on actually through all stages of life, but it might look different at each of those stages. So the next question is this, what might honoring our parents look like? Israel is probably asking this question. In fact, as people talk about the law and this commandment in particular, this commandment is kind of vague. It doesn't have like a specific thing to do or not do. It's rather big in how it can be applied. And, and Israelites spend a lot of time kind of working out what does it really look like to apply this in, in various situations. So let's talk about it. What might honoring parents look like? You know, it has to be said that there are actually probably like 15,000 really good ways that you can honor your parents. And it also has to be said that there are probably like 15,000 really bad ways that you can dishonor your parents. So, so honor, there's this reality where honor may permit certain actions at certain stages that it doesn't permit at other stages. So for example, today, I am not required to obey my parents like I was when I was a kid. Like I am... Today, I am permitted to disagree with my parents in a way that I could not disagree with them when I was a kid. Again, this is where actions and intentions become crucial to evaluate, that we have to look at the heart behind the actions, not just the actions themselves. Because while I might be permitted to kind of change the way that I honor my parents, there's actually one thing that honor never permits me to do. Honor never permits me to leave my heart unchecked. Honor never permits me to leave my heart unchecked. So we're going to talk through this a little bit. Three steps to a heart that dishonors parents. We're actually going to look at what can go on in our hearts when we are considering our parents. So three steps to a heart that dishonors parents. Number one, you make it a goal to show them up. You make it a goal to show them up. So you know what? It's not wrong to want to be different than your parents. It's not wrong to want to build a different life or emphasize different priorities, but you know what? It is cancer in your heart if you spend your life trying to prove yourself by making them your standard of comparison, right? By spending your life chasing something that you felt like they were keeping you back from, whether that's perceived or real, by somehow trying to achieve justice on them by outdoing them through living your life differently in some way, right? So that's, that's not helpful for your heart. It is going to lead to a heart that dishonors parents. Number two, you treat them like a dispenser of goods. So this is the, hey, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. 
But, in, but now we're thinking of this in relation to parents, right? So, so think of a child who only obeys if and when they know that they're going to get what they want because they're obeying. Right? Think of, though, think of also an adult son or daughter who does the bare minimum to keep, leaving, uh, to keep living in the house, right? They just take care of what they need to take care of to make sure that they get their commodity. Uh, think of an adult son or daughter who spends more time with mom or dad when they get up there in age because they know that things in the will are being decided, right? And these are, these are real things that happen. These are real cancers inside of people's hearts. So, so if you treat them like a dispenser of goods, and number three, you consistently dwell on how they've wronged you. So I get that this is actually like a legitimate pain area for many people. You've suffered abuse or you've suffered uh, addiction in your family or you've suffered abandonment because of what your parents have done. And, and in fact, these things might be the first thing that you think of when you think of your parents. And I'm not saying that you ignore those things, that you pretend like they didn't happen. I'm not saying that you erase them and forget about them. What I am saying, uh, because there's this reality, you do have to put boundaries around abuse, right? You can't just let that keep happening. You can't ignore what's happening. But what I am saying is that there is a weight that God has given them by making them your parents. I'm saying that, that if you don't take steps to ask for God's help to forgive them, if you don't take steps towards learning to pray for them, if you don't take steps towards truly wanting what is good for them, that it will actually stand in the way of you developing a heart that gives God glory. So, so all of those can be part of a dishonoring heart, and a dishonoring heart actually leads to dishonoring actions. Jesus, he talked about this very concept with the Pharisees. Matthew fifteen seventeen through 20. Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But verse 18, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Church, if we are going to be a place that honors parents, what we need to do is we need to know that that honor does not permit us to leave our hearts unchecked. So, God wants his people to honor their mother, mother and father. So my question is, why is this such a big deal? Like, why does he care about this so much? Why is this the most foundational to the ways that we operate in society? And we kind of see the why in the last part of the command. Exodus 20, verse 12. It says, honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So remember, what is God doing? Well, with the Israelites, he is building a society. He's building a new nation, and he is speaking into a world that has been completely disordered by sin. 
Like society is supposed to be functional, and right now society is not functional. It is chaotic. He is kind of recreating his vision for what society is supposed to be when he is speaking to Israel. He's trying to set human relationships right. And as he does this, he wants to shape society with his intentions for humanity. So what we understand that, then is that this, this command is the beginning the beginning of flourishing in human relationships is honor of parents. Like, as God is trying to build a culture, the family unit is extremely important. The role that mothers and fathers play in the lives of their kids is extremely important. A flourishing society cannot function without mothers and fathers loving their kids and, and, and kids obeying and honoring and trusting and, and loving their mothers and fathers. And he says this for a purpose, that your days may be long in the land. This is a a covenant promise from God. Like, practice this, and you will continue to receive my blessing. It will continue to come from you. I will keep, he's not just like talking about, hey, you're going to live longer if you honor your mom and dad. He's, what he's saying is, I will keep Israel in the land a long time if you carry this out. It's a promise that God's going to preserve them as a nation if they do this. But then there's also like a really practical side note. When you devalue the significance of the family unit in a society, it is not long before that society starts to crumble. It will start to fall apart. Like society starts to be torn apart at the edges. Why? Because a child, everything a child learns in their soul, who they become is shaped by the people who raise them. So when parents raise kids, what happens? Well, their view of God is influenced by their parents. Their work ethic is influenced by their parents. Their values are influenced by their parents. Their respect for others influenced by their parents. How they treat their parents in their old age is going to be influenced by their parents, right? So, so if they see you loving and caring for your parents in your old age, then they're going to know oh, hey, I have to do this. If you neglect that responsibility, then don't be surprised when they neglect that responsibility. God's essentially saying that the, most, the people most suited to shape what a person becomes in the world are that person's parents. So if we can speak really honestly for a second, you need to know that there is a movement in our society to diminish the role that parents have in the lives of children. Like, there is a movement in our society that the individual is the most important unit, not the family. So the singular person is the most important unit, and as a result, you know what should happen? The state should actually have the most influence on who that person becomes. For those who uh, desire to shape society in their image, that, that, pres- uh, that parent-child relationship, it actually becomes a really frustrating reality for anybody who's trying to do that, Right? So, so there's this kind of reality where they're trying to, there's value in turning hearts against parents because it gives the people who would like to shape society in their image more access to the children, right? The crazy thing is God actually wants to turn kids' hearts towards their parents. So in the book of Malachi, it's really interesting. Society, you know, the, the, the Israelites, they... Uh, come back to their land, they have their temple back, and it's not long before things start to fall apart 
again. Like you just see society start to crumble. Uh, you, you see judicial inequality. You see uh, fathers who are abandoning mothers. Uh, you see just in general the people turning against the Lord. You see uh, God talks about how they're just being stingy with their resources. They're, they're holding on to them for too long. And, and then on top of all of that, like crime is just on the rise. Evildoers are running rampant in this society. And the book gives this picture of really like a hopeless situation in Israel, but then at the very end of the book, God gives a word of promise. And this is not, by the way, just the end of the book of Malachi. This is the end of the entire Old Testament, the very last verse. Malachi 4, 6. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Least I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. This is what he's saying. He's saying, I'm going to restore society. I'm going to restore social order, and you know how I'm going to do it? I'm going to do it with how I had always intended to do it. I'm going to turn the hearts of kids towards their fathers and the hearts of fathers towards their children. So church, this is why our church prioritizes reaching young families. The greatest potential for kids knowing and following the Lord and carrying out his purposes in our world are parents who know and follow the Lord and carry out his purposes in our world. Like if you, if you watch the annual report video that got sent out uh, and you watch Nancy's video, you saw Nancy talking about the value that we had with the e-learning center of, of not just meeting kids and seeing God do something in them, but actually like, having conversations with parents who are desperate, desperate for something to help them, desperate for somebody to come alongside them. And we had the opportunity to walk alongside these families and see, um, even in this, this time, it was a small way and it was a simple way, but it was something we could do to reach these families because we recognize that if God can do something in the parents, it means something much more significantly for the family. So, um, with all of that being said, I want to actually think about what it could look like for us really practically as a church to become a beacon of light in this area. I want to look at how we can honor parents at all stage of, stages of life and as a result be able to tell a better story to our surrounding world. So we're just going to kind of walk through the stages of life and talk about what honoring parents might look like. So let's start with children and teens. As uh, children and teens are growing up, you know what? Parents are actually going to play a key role in ensuring that their kids become kids who honor. Uh, They're going to have a key role in kind of establishing systems and uh, setting reasonable and consistent boundaries, and they might adjust those boundaries with age, right? That makes sense. But then these parents are also going to become examples of honor to their kids, right? That's kind of what's going to be set up. So kids then, as children and teens, they can honor their parents by Well, the obvious one, obedience, right? That's very important. They obey, uh, but then you can extend it beyond that. Uh, I know that one thing, like a lot of kids that I grew up with did when their parents weren't around is they slandered their parents. They talked about how frustrating uh, they, how frustrated they were with their parents, how their parents weren't fair, how their parents didn't take care of them in the ways they should have. And right, there's this, this cancer in your heart right? So uh, maybe not talking back or arguing, right? This is where I really struggled with my parents when I was growing up. 
this is the one thing that my mom and dad had to tell me more than any other thing. Don't talk back to me. Like, uh, there's something in my heart, not believing that they were for me, not believing, like, I thought I was smarter than my parents. What a smug kid I was. And, and, and my parents had to remind me of this again and again. Being intentionally kind to your parents, loving them well, right? So the kids can honor their parents in many ways, but the most significant are, um, especially at that age, recognizing their, their place uh, by obeying them, not talking back to them. So then uh, you transition out of this stage, right, of childhood. You become uh, what in our culture today, we become young adults, right? So uh, at this stage, you know, parents may still share their home with their kids at this stage. Uh, Obviously, the parents have freedom to put boundaries around what that looks like, right? But a key piece in this stage, the important part is parents learning to let go of their kids, learning to, to let them become the people that they are to become. So uh, I've heard uh, somebody I know once say, a parent's goal in life should be to shoot their kids, right? Right? Because they are arrows in your quiver, right? This comes from the book of Psalms. They're arrows in your quiver, and you're trying to launch them out into the world, right? So, uh, so just a note, like changes in the economy today, they make things like renting and home ownership very challenging, right? So many parents here are, they're sharing homes with their kids so that they can save monies to be able to, to, be able to face the current economic realities, right? I get all of that. So, so that's something to take in mind with this. But there's this reality where we let them become the people that they're going to become. So then kids who are in this stage, we can honor our parents by, again, not slandering our parents, like seeking to speak well of them. Or if we're going to speak of them publicly, that we only let the things that we say be things that would be honoring and would not be dishonoring to them. Uh, engaging in respectful dialogue, right? So, so now we have a little bit more freedom as young adults. Like, so we can honor our parents and still disagree with them, right? Like there is this reality where you can have disagreements between you and still be honorable towards each other. Uh, so you just be careful to, to make sure that as you're engaging in the dialogue, you continue to be respectful. Um, acceptance of boundaries, Right, so uh, so p- kids, if their parents have certain boundaries, especially if you're living at home, like you just you accept those, or you find a different way to live. Right, um, kids can honor their parents by thanking their parents. Oh my goodness, I have like I've I told you like two weeks ago that that was going to be the most convicting sermon that I preached in the Ten Commandments. This might be the most convicting sermon that I preached in the Ten Commandments because I can't, like, how much, how often have I just told my parents, you know, thank you for what you've done, for what you built into me, um, for giving me a house to live in and giving me food to eat and making sure that I was taken care of and going to the things that I was involved in, right? So, so you can, uh, young adults especially, honor your parents by thanking them, um, a really cool way you can honor your parents is pursue the Lord deeply. Like deeper spirituality. Like when you are with the Lord, go, go deeper with him. Seek the things that he wants. And even if your parents don't follow the Lord, it's interesting, uh, as I was talking to some other people about this, even with parents who don't follow the Lord, there is this recognition of, like I don't get that but I really love the person that they've become. 
right? There's something that is still incredibly honorable about that, and parents see it and value it, even if they might not vocalize it. And then, you know, actively working to build a life, to build something where you're going to pour into other people. So, so that's things that uh, young adults can do. Middle-aged adults, right? So these are, you, you got kids now who are growing. Uh, at this point, parents can be a support and a, an encouragement in this stage, right? That's still really valuable. But kids honor their parents by recognizing the good that their parents did and actually like speaking those words to them. Uh, by becoming a resource for their parents, right? Uh, so there's this reality as you, uh, as you grow that you are going to develop a different set of skills than your parents were able to develop. You're going to develop a different realm of knowledge that you, than what your parents were able to develop. And there, if your parents ask for I mean, obviously you don't push it on, on them, but you have this opportunity to be a resource now for your parents and help them out. Um, they might ask for help, and if they do, help them. Uh, raising kids. So like, you can honor your parents by, uh, by raising kids, right? And spiritual or biological, right? So, so this doesn't mean like the only way you can honor your parents is by having kids. No, like that you can have spiritual kids, like invest, pour your life into somebody else because that is an extension of your legacy, even if it's not by blood. And that's something that is honorable to those who raised you. Okay, older adults. Let's talk about older adults now. Um, significant. I love seeing what just a lot of holiness in this area in this church, um, ensuring that your parents are taken care of. Like some of you, I know, have had to, had to do this a lot recently. Um, and what a testimony to the people around you, to your kids, to your community. Like how many people just abandon their parents? Let them go off and home. Don't visit them. Don't care for them. So it's a really, really valuable thing. Um, you know, visiting your parents consistently, even when they don't live by, find ways to, you know, take trips and see them. Find ways. This is kind of a consistent one, but it's worth repeating. Find ways to delight in what you value about your parents and make sure you communicate it to them. Make sure you tell them. So, uh, church, here's the point. The burden to carry out God's vision for families never stops. Like, we're, we never stop honoring our parents. And now, it, it gets practiced differently over time, but we are not permitted to actually stop honoring. We still have responsibility to recognize the weight that God has given them in our lives. So the main point this morning is this. We can tell our culture a better story when we honor our parents. We can tell our culture a better story when we honor our parents. Okay, so what? This might be a little crass, but number one, don't wait until your parents are dead to speak well of them. Right, so I prep, I prep with a group of pastors, and it's crazy when we were talking about this, this particular commandment. We, couldn't, we didn't actually talk about all the like, cognitive logical stuff. We couldn't help but tell stories about our parents. Like, we could barely sit at the table without all of these stories coming up, the things that we value about our parents, the things that impress us, the ways that we've maybe even fallen short in the, the ways that we are called to love our parents. You know, most of that, the time that most of that comes out for most people in relation to their parents is the eulogy at their funeral, right? 
the time when most people are speaking the good words, it's after their parents can no longer hear those words. But if they're worth, if they're actually worth the honor of speaking those things after they passed, if they're worth that honor, then they're worth the honor of speaking those things to them, of actually being able to hear those words spoken about them. Uh, Number two, if you are a parent who is not paid honor, keep trusting God. So note, um, yeah, parents, absolutely, we have a responsibility to build a culture of honor in the home, but one of the hardest realities of even just dealing with this sermon is that there are a number of people in this congregation who are dealing with pain in relation to their kids. Kids who slander them. Kids who want nothing to do with them. Kids who take advantage of them. Kids who are living lives of sin. Again, I know many of you parents in this situation, you did everything that you could. You invested, you loved, and this still happened. So what do we do? Number one, I'd encourage you to pray for them. Don't stop praying for them. Keep, continue praying for them. Number two, accept the reality that if they're going to change, God has to intervene in a powerful way and they have to respond to that intervention. And number three, hope. Hope, always be ready to welcome them back. Be prepared, be waiting for the day when they'll uh, call with the phone call, be ready for the day when they'll walk up to the door and be ready to welcome them back. So what, number three? The gospel sets you free to honor the way God intends. So I talked about this earlier. There's pain because of the incredibly dishonorable things that were done to you as a child. Like if you've been saved by Jesus, there's good news. You are not the home you grew up in. Right? Jesus, what does he do? Well, he takes every single one of us who has done dishonorable things to our Father in heaven. And he extends to us the gift of his sacrifice for us in our place. And he says, believe in me. And then he offers us a new identity as children of our Heavenly Father. And it doesn't erase what happened to you, but it does mean that you don't have to let that define you any longer. Because we've been forgiven of our abuses against God, we can then forgive the abuses that were done to us. It doesn't mean that we don't maintain boundaries with them. It doesn't mean that we return to any kind of an abusive situation, but it means that we are free to honor them by praying for them. We are free to honor them by asking the Lord to bring about his good in their lives. We are free to honor them by actually like uh, getting the joy to, to seek the Lord's good, to do something about the name that they gave to us by using it to pursue the Lord wholeheartedly. That can still be honorable to them even though they didn't do anything honorable for us. And one more thing. If you find yourself in this category, the church is a new family for you. New fathers, new bro- mothers, new brothers, new sisters new people that you are called to honor and that you actually get the joy of honoring together in the family of God.
the church. With all that being said this morning, would you please pray with me? God, there's something about your heart revealed here in the Ten Commandments. Something about the people that you desire us to become, something about how the church can be a beacon of light. Your new people, your new society, how we can display to the world the kind of people that you desired us to be. There's something here about this. So Lord, I pray for every single child in the room. I pray for all of us that you would give us eyes to see our hearts toward our parents. Lord, that you would make us evaluative of our words and our actions and that you would ultimately, by your Holy Spirit, shape us into people who can display a testimony to the world that even no matter what was done to us or no matter who we're trying to become, that we still have a great honor for the people that God has placed into our lives. Lord, that we could display something different to our culture than what it is trying to accomplish, that we could actually be honorable to those who raised us. Lord, uh, I know that there's just a lot of really practical situations as we talk about this. I pray for your nearness to, to all of those who are hurting, whether it's with a relationship with their children or a relationship with their parents or, or past pain. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just be near and you would ground people in faith and hope in you despite the pain caused by other people. Lord, you would teach us how to honor even when honor is not done to us. And these are things that only you can do inside of us, so we trust you for them and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.